seek. Luke chapter 17. We're going to move to the 20th verse. That's where we'll begin. And we'll read to the conclusion of the chapter. Luke chapter 17. This too, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we confess to be the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Now when he, that is Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in the night there will be two men in one bed, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together, the one will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be in the field, and the one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So far the, the gospel lesson, we also want to take a portion of our confession. And I invite you to Turn with me to the concluding article of the Belgic Confession, Article 37 in the Trinity Hymnal. It uh, begins on page 870, 870. 
And uh, Article 37 comes to us under the theme of the Last Judgment. begins with these words, finally we believe. The authors of our confession, our forefathers, they spoke very plainly of what was deeply held in their hearts. We believe. What beautiful words to, to, to declare that we might believe. Finally, we believe, according to God's word, that when the time appointed by the Lord is come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete. Our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. Then all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge, men, women, and children, who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world, they will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. For all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth, their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in a twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible, then the books, that is the consciences, will be opened and the dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world, whether good or evil. Indeed, all people will give an account of all the idle words they have spoken, which the world regards as, as only playing games. And then, the secrets and the hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. And therefore, with good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful uh, to wicked and evil people. But it is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect, since their total redemption will then be accomplished. They will then receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be openly recognized by all and they will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring on the evil ones who tyrannized, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The evil ones will be convicted by the witness of their own consciences and shall be made immortal, but only to be tormented in the everlasting fire prepared by, for the devil and his angels. In contrast, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will confess their names before his Father, and the holy and elect angels, all tears will be wiped from their eyes, and their cause, at present condemned as heretical, and evil by many judges and civil officers will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God. And as a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the heart of man could never imagine. So we look forward to that great day with longing 
in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We remember that as this confession was written, it was written under the stress of much persecution and as we hear the testimony of our forefathers, we we can also see the signs of that same persecution uh, coming our way in the realization that there are many others in the world who are presently uh, under the hammer of persecution. Our text this morning is uh, verse 32, verse 32, very briefly, remember Lot's wife. May the Lord so help us to speak well and listen well for his glory's sake. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the theme of remembering is prevalent in Scripture with the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus did say, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's a a great uh, call to remember what the Lord had done for the congregation, not to forget his uh, holy ways. And the call to remember is always given for forward action. We remember unto a purpose. Now, during Christ's public ministry, he was often asked about the kingdom of God. Those of the Jewish faith eagerly anticipated the arrival of this kingdom. The Pharisees were no different. They and their many followers were like many other citizens of Palestine, of the Promised Land, who were looking forward to the arrival of an outward, earthly, visible, political kingdom, one in which the Jews would occupy a very prominent place. And they could hardly wait uh, for its arrival. They were so anxious to know that when it would be established that they, these Pharisees now were even willing to ask the one that they despised, the Lord Jesus. And to their question, Jesus, as he had done before, taught them that the kingdom of God was so much different than what they had imagined it to be. The kingdom that will finally be ushered in does not come with outward observation. That is to say, one cannot, like a weather forecaster, predict its, uh, its arrival. Now, there are signs, yes, but a definite prediction is not in our hands. The kingdom will come, but not by conquering armies with the multitude of soldiers and their armories. Rather, it will come with when the vast majority of people least think of the coming of the king and his kingdom, while they're so busy with their ordinary pursuits of life that it catches them off guard. The king will come, perhaps even in our lifetime. And it will be as in the days of Noah when the flood came unexpectedly upon the earth with its devastating consequences, destruction. Noah had been 
preaching, as it were, with his hammer, 120 years. It will be as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when brimstone, without any warning, suddenly rained down and devastated the inhabitants of the valley. So a lot of talk about climate change. We haven't seen nothing yet. Climate is always changing. Our Savior often included warning in his teaching concerning the gospel of salvation, and no less today any pulpit worth its salt must include warning for those who have ears to hear. May God grant us those ears. And as the Lord turned his attention to the disciples to instruct them more pointedly in the midst of his sermon about the coming of the Son of Man and his kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ inserts a, a, a very brief sentence of only three words, and it's a sentence in the English language then uh, full of meaning and admonition. Remember Lot's wife. We do well to ask ourselves how we are to understand his word for our own pilgrim journey. No doubt the story is familiar to most of us, if not all of us, young and old alike. And by using the example of Lot's wife, the Lord Jesus holds before his followers, before his disciples, as we also are called to be, the fact that they should be so prepared for his return that in their thoughts and words and deeds that, that the Lord would be at the foreground. And that what we do even in our, our, our daily activities must be done with, with in obedience to the triune God with an eye, as it were, to the clouds. And so may our great God once again use his holy word in our midst to impress the warning of Jesus into our hearts. And as we think of that warning, as we think of the Lord's call, we uh, want to remember Mrs. Lot in her privileges. And then secondly, we want to remember her in her destruction. And in the third place, we want to remember her in her unbelief. Let's first remember Lot's wife and her privileges. There are several. When we do that, it is not out of place to recall that Mrs. Lot was privileged far above most of the women of her day. Her first great privilege was that she was married to Lot, a nephew of Abraham, the friend of God. Lot, too, was one of our, our Heavenly Father's children, for we read in 2 Peter chapter 2 that God delivered righteous lots. Lot, despite his many shortcomings and sins, was a God-fearing man. Yes, the Bible makes it clear that Lot was wrong in pitching his tent toward Sodom and eventually living there. But the fact remains he did go with Abraham to the land of Canaan because he too believed the covenant promises which God made to Abraham about the future coming of Christ and his kingdom. Lot was not simply a tag-along. Mrs. Lot 
had a believing husband. And she enjoyed the advantage of knowing what he believed and from what principles he sought to live by. She, she knew his hopes and his love. But being married to a Christian does not assure us of being a Christian ourselves, nor does it guarantee that we will be heaven-bound to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Remember Lot's wife. Then we note a second great privilege. Mrs. Lot was in the company of two of the heroes of faith. Both Abraham and Sarah are mentioned in the book of Hebrews as outstanding God-fearing people who walked by faith. Abraham even called the father of all believers and again the friend of God. Abraham heard and obeyed the call of God to leave all and to go to the land that God would show him. Mrs. Lot, together with her husband, journeyed many miles alongside Abraham and Sarah. And together they, as it were, went up and down throughout Canaan. Together they talked of God's commands, even as Abraham was going to a land he did not know. They would have spoken of God's call in their lives, of his covenant promises. She saw Abraham, Mrs. Lot, in his unwavering faith throughout the years. And this was a rare privilege shared only by those close to Abraham and Sarah. Indeed, to have fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters in the faith, as we might enjoy, To hear the gospel faithfully proclaimed, the sacraments administered, to enjoy the communion of the saints, to go to a Christian school, to attend Sunday school, catechism classes, church societies, they are all great privileges. But it is no guarantee that we ourselves are Christians. Mrs. Lott enjoyed these benefits according to the standards of her time, but she, sadly, is not a Christian. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus tells us. A third privilege. She knew the story of the flood with its interpretation. She knew that the unbelieving world was punished for their ungodliness and that Noah with his seven relatives were saved. She knew something of what we would say then church history and should have learned from it. We too must consider the rare privilege of knowing the history of God's people as it comes to us infallibly in the pages of Scripture redemptive history, the history of the church, but also through the course of time, as we find it on the pages of church history, as we find it in our confessions, even as we read from Belgic 37. Many pages have been scribbled in blood, as it were, since the formation of the New Testament church at Pentecost, and you and I, we may not be indifferent to our history, 
But this too is not an assurance that one belongs to the church of the living God. Remember Lot's wife. And then a fourth privilege. We must notice that she experienced God's marvelous deeds of mercy. You recall that occasion when she and her husband had been taken captive and then experienced rescue by Abraham, found in Genesis 14. And no doubt they would have been anxious moments for her, and perhaps she had even prayed for deliverance. But how many people in the moment of terror will not cry out to God even though they do not live for him day by day? How many soldiers in their foxholes pray with intensity but really do not have faith? Foxhole religion and true faith are not the same things. Remember Lot's wife. Then a fifth privilege, she had been a hostess to angels. On the eve before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, two angels came to lodge in her home. No other person in the entire history of the Bible had overnight visitors as she did. Abraham entertained angels, but they did not stay for the night. And Mrs. Lot, she saw these angels in their work of mercy and also in their work of judgments. She saw the, the inhabitants, first of all, being struck blind by God's power as they were pounding on the door to do the family harm. She knew that God meant business when she, with Lot, were told, were, were urge, urging their, the engaged friends of their daughters to come with them and flee, flee from the wrath and judgment that was to come upon the cities. She entertained angels. But let us remember that she was not prepared to meet her God when sudden destruction came upon her world. What privileges congregation she enjoyed. And yet the Lord Jesus takes her as an, a warning to all who have ears to hear in the context that speaks of the sudden coming of the Son of Man at the end of time. Never forget, congregation, with the privilege comes a great responsibility. If sudden destruction were to come upon us, whether that be in, in what we call a mishap, an accident, these are words that aren't quite correct because they are no real accidents in the course of the sovereignty of God. Or a heart failure, sudden sickness, May it be that we shall not open our eyes in the place where Lot's wife is now already suffering the pains of untold agony. Let us not forget Lot's wife in her privileges. And secondly, let us remember Lot's wife in her destruction. 
was a sudden destruction. Here she was, on the way to escape. From all appearances, she was now safe. Yes, it had been hard to depart, but the two angels had convinced Lot, Mrs. Lot, their two daughters engaged to be married, to flee. The Bible says that, that these angels even took their hands. But whether it was curiosity, pity, or longing for the things she left behind, her heart was still in Sodom. And she could not resist from looking back. Oh, that one last look. It's, and suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, she was destroyed and stood in the presence of her Creator. Her conscience was opened up before the Lord, where she had to give an account for the things done in the body an account for all her privileges. Yes, uh, two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Mrs. Lot was taken. Lot was left. And this is the way it will be once again when the Lord Jesus returns in the second coming, bringing with him the fullness of God's kingdom. Now, not only was her destruction sudden, it was also final. When she suddenly became a pillar of salt, she never had another opportunity to make amends, to repent. She could never again hear the gospel from the lips and heart of her husband. She could never again hear Abraham tell about the sweet promises of the faithful covenant God and how precious it was to be a friend of God. Never again would she be permitted to entertain angels. Instead, she would be brought alongside the companionship of those in hell where there shall be, in the Lord's words, weeping and gnashing of teeth the presence of demons. Yes, the Bible says it is appointed for a man to die once and then the judgment. The Bible says, today, today when you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. For Mrs. Lot, there was a tragic finality of which she had no recourse and of which we may never forget. Jesus making reference to her life for the very purpose that you and I, we too, would be warned so that we might be better prepared for the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Mrs. Lot, she may have had what we, we speak of as a historical faith, she did not have a saving faith. In fact, in fact, it would seem that Mrs. Lot felt right at home in Sodom. She was not preparing for the judgment to come. Jesus, by his word to us in Luke chapter 17, reminds us to be ready. To be ready when he comes. Brothers and sisters, how is it that you... And I, how is it that we are preparing? What is it that stirs in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls when we ponder these great things of the Lord? Yes, uh, she took only but one look. That's all it took. 
Inwardly, Mrs. Lot yearned for those whom she left behind, and in the end, she got what she wanted. In her moment of death, she, she joined those of Sodom and Gomorrah, whom the Lord destroyed because of their wickedness. Our Savior, very brief, cryptic word to his disciples. The Pharisees are not in the picture at this time. These words, remember Lot's wife, go back into history. But they also push us forward, forward into the time, into the day when our Savior will suddenly come upon the clouds and in a twinkling of an eye. Can you imagine? In a twinkling of an eye, we shall stand before the judgment seat. And now, our Savior has instructed Instructed with a message that calls for readiness. And again, we need to ask ourselves, how have we prepared? How ready are we? In our comings and goings, do we do so with the awareness that the Lord Jesus could come back at any time, that we too at any small moment could be called out of time and into eternity. Then finally, in the third place, let us remember Lot's wife and her unbelief. The, th- the sad thing about Mrs. Lot was not that she turned into a pillar of salt, but that in her scale of values, this is important congregation, in her scale of values, she placed earth above heaven material things above spiritual things. Her heart was worldly. It was one with the the citizens of Sodom and and not one with the heart of her husband, not one with, with the principles of the kingdom. Her treasure was in the world. Remember what the Lord Jesus said, where your treasure is there your heart will be also. In unbelief, she lived for this life and she didn't think enough about the life to come. In a certain manner of speaking, we might say that she was an example of outwardly, morally fine people of the world. Some who even go to church for the sake of respectability the so-called worldly Christian. She was not an unbeliever in the sense that she militantly fought against the cause of Christ as we see so many in our society do, and increasingly so, but rather in the sense that she didn't really enjoy the singing of the songs of Zion or the confession of faith, the study of God's word, the giving of gifts, the attentive listening to the preached word of God. The things of God were not a positive power in her life. And this unbelief became very evident when the angels taking her by the hand, giving her the particular command not to look back, she disobeyed. She rejected the word of the Lord. 
And so we see that she was an unbeliever in the sense that the word of God was not a power in her heart to salvation. She shows, as, as one pastor once noted, that there's a difference between someone who believes the Bible historically. Oh, that's a nice story. That's interesting. And a true believer who believes the scriptures unto salvation. The pull of the world was too much for her. No sooner had the angels gone, no sooner had they let go of her hand than she began to wonder about her goods that were being burned, or about her friends that were dying. She failed at that moment to think about how marvelous God was in sending her and her family the warning to flee, to flee from the wrath to come. She had this, this, this backward, worldly look instead of this forward, heavenly look that, that we're called to exercise. She looked in spite of the warning, and she looked because in the inward core of her heart, she remained unconverted. She remained an unbeliever despite her rich heritage and the experiences that were hers. She died an unbeliever and received an unbeliever's reward. Remember Lot's wife. Because most of us gathered here this morning in the Lord's house in this place set apart in the sanctuary, have experienced far more, far more privilege than Mrs. Lot, reared in Christian homes, exposed to biblical reform teaching and preaching for years, possessors of God's covenant promises, the record of church history. We have the scriptures, the full scriptures in our hands, in our homes. The scriptures that tell us of those who have gone before us. The scriptures that record for us the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who set his face like flint. He didn't turn back from the pathway of the cross. He knew his calling, his mission, his task. And he did not turn back. He did not turn back. And congregation... It is to the Lord Jesus that we too must constantly give our attention. I'm mindful of the opening words of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside our spiritual work. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne God. But now suppose Jesus should come tomorrow 
And we should know the day before that he's coming. Would we be truly glad? Oh, we think we have a pretty good life. There's much to live for here. Beautiful home. Too bad it would be destroyed. Peter, spot, Peter speaks of the, of the burning of the earth. Well, that's real climate change. A, a prosperous farm that would no longer be ours. Perhaps you have some friends in the, in the world whose companionship you'd miss. What Jesus is holding before his followers, his disciples, and also before the disciples gathered here this morning in Elmer, the Bethel Church, is that we should be so prepared for his return that in our, our life we know what it is to have the Lord Jesus first, doing everything out of love for him, and thus the triune God. We need to ask ourselves, how is it with us? Could it possibly be true that some of us really don't have too much trouble with those of the world? Does it trouble us, for example, that there are so many who desecrate the Lord's day, making it unholy? Are we alarmed at the ease at which we might adopt the philosophy of the unbeliever with respect to what it is we celebrate in the holidays or, or the leisure activities. And all of these temptations, and we have them, don't we? We have them. Remember Lot's wife. Let the wife of Lot warn us against half-heartedness. Don't be one of those who have too much of the Christian religion to be happy in the world and too little to be happy in the church. Such people are still worldly, worldlings, and are like Mrs. Lot in their inmost being. The Lord spoke these words as a warning in the midst of his sermon of the coming, his coming on the clouds to judge the living and the dead. It's a message to us, isn't it, brothers and sisters? A warning, no doubt. But there's also, in that warning, a, a, a word of encouragement. For in realizing the truth, we are driven once again to our Savior that we may put our trust and confidence in him. Jesus is not merely warning, he, he's also urging us to trust him, to escape from the wrath to come. He, he's urging each one of us, young and old alike, to, to look forward, to look forward to the great day of days. Again, keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus, the treasure, the treasure. It's not an attitude of take it or leave it, but a gracious warning to escape from the wrath to come by taking upon ourselves his yoke, learning of him, so that we might find rest for our souls. The Lord gives us, thanks be to the Lord, a, a gracious invitation to examine our hearts, whether we are ready if he should come upon the clouds in that unexpected moments.
Lot's wife. She was not ready. She was not prepared for the last judgment. Are you? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Remember Lot's wife. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the clarity of thy holy word, the call of thy word to us, the call to remember, the call to prepare, the call to acknowledge that this world is no abiding place. Lord, we cannot do this in our own strength. And we so much need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to apply every word given to us, to our hearts, to our footsteps, to the work of our hands. Lord, as we think of our own worldview, how we view the world, Help us to do it with heavenly eyesight. Help us to do it, Lord, seeking strength to be faithful to the most holy faith. Build us in faith, we pray. Oh, Lord, we are so easily distracted and we confess that our eyes, too, roam in places that do not acknowledge the imminent coming of our Savior. And earnestly we ask, Lord, help us, direct us. We thank thee, Father, that we've not been kept in the dark, but that we have been given a great message from our Lord. And we pray, Lord, help us to Receive it, respond to it. So, Lord, we, we pray, apply the scriptures to our lives. We thank thee, Lord, for the opportunity to be gathered. Lord, we, we pray, help us as we go our homeward way to reflect on these great truths. Bless the uh, offerings that will be presented, the gifts of gratitude for the life of the church and the diaconate. And Lord, we pray, bring us back together again at the next appointed time. And hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.